0: Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's program, the Market Insights Notes on the Week Ahead.
1: Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Funds. Today is March 4th, 2019. Should an overweight man with elevated cholesterol, eat a 32-ounce steak? Probably not, you might say. Provided he stays comfortably seated in his chair, no short-term problems may ensue. However, in the long run, it's clearly risky. And even in the short run, some obviously negative effects are being masked by the fact that he is sitting rather than engaging in vigorous exercise. The federal government is running a large and growing budget deficit, with apparently few negative side effects so far. However, in the long run, this is dangerous. Moreover, even in the short run, any increase in the deficit to pursue an agenda that transfers wealth from the rich to the poor could trigger some of the negative effects of deficits that the US economy has avoided in recent years. The last few weeks have seen some politicians and economists on both the left and the right espouse a convenient falsehood, namely the idea that the US federal deficit is not a problem. This is not so, and both fixed income investors and investors in general should consider the implications of rising federal debt in both their expectations for long-term returns and their assessment of risks. On the right, the idea of a no-deficit problem has manifested itself in the argument that the 2017 tax cut would pay for itself through economic growth. On Tuesday, the Treasury Department will release its delayed monthly budget report for January. And while data could be distorted by the government shutdown, it's likely to show the 10th month out of the last 12 in which the federal revenues were down year over year. In other words, even in a year where economic growth was clearly boosted by a tax cut, this boost was not sufficient to make the tax cut pay for itself. Actually, budget math makes this almost inevitable. Federal revenues in fiscal 2018 amounted to 16.4% of GDP. What this means, assuming revenues grow normally in line with the size of the economy, is that you need $6 of extra GDP to produce $1 of extra revenue. For a tax cut to pay for itself, The tax cut would need to be so explosive in its economic impacts, that $1 tax cuts could produce $6 of GDP. This is what economists call a multiplier of 6. The problem is that there's no evidence that such a multiplier exists, particularly when trying to extract growth from an economy that's already at full employment. A second string to the argument of the fiscal optimists is that the tax cut would unleash sustainable real economic growth of 3% or better, which might at least limit the growth of the deficit going forward. However, data released last week and due out this week continue to suggest that this is not the case. Fourth quarter real GDP growth, reported last Thursday, came in at 3.1% year-over-year, year, the best since the second quarter of 2015. This surge can, for the most part, be attributed to the effects of the tax cut in boosting consumption and investment spending. However, inventories are growing about twice as fast as normal in the second half of last year, and getting them back to a more average pace of accumulation will be a drag in economic growth this year. In addition, in the week ahead, the Commerce Department will likely confirm that light vehicle sales were even softer in February than in January, and that both exports and new home sales fell in December. This lack of momentum, combined with a slowing global economy and the impact of the government shutdown, could well result in a zero or negative reading for annualised first-quarter GDP, with a year-over-year gain in real GDP falling 2% by by the third quarter. In their latest projections, the Congressional Budget Office projected real GDP growth of 2.3% fourth quarter-fourth quarter this year, followed by 1.7% in 2020. These numbers seem broadly reasonable and should result in budget deficits of $900 billion this year and next before lurching above a $1 trillion in 2022 and staying there through the mid-2020s. But if deficits won't simply fade away in a booming economy, some of the left are proposing an alternative and very comforting view, namely that deficits actually should rise and will do no harm at all in our current economy. This is what's known as Modern Monetary Theory, or MMT for short. MMT starts with the idea that we should stop worrying about a short-term budget crisis, since a government whose debt is denominated in its own sovereign currency can always avoid bankruptcy by printing more money. This much is, of course, true if you force a central bank to cooperate. The Federal Reserve already, through its QE programs, owns 2.2 trillion worth of Treasury bonds. And because the profits of the Fed are returned to Treasury, this is essentially an interest-free loan. In theory, the Federal Government could require the Fed to buy another trillion dollars worth of bonds, hold onto them in perpetuity, and return all the interest to Treasury. This would give the Treasury Secretary another a $1 trillion to spend any way the government saw fit, including making payments on treasuries that other parties hold, including domestic and foreign investors. So yes, the federal government should always be able to avoid, avoid default on its dollar-denominated debt. Second, the proponents of MMT argue, the way to judge whether a deficit is too high or not is by whether you have an inflation problem. Inflation is low today, so we should feel free to boost the deficit. Well, this is a veneer of plausibility, it's actually going down a very dangerous road. Traditionally, economists have assumed that higher deficits would lead to higher inflation. The idea was that if the private sector was using all of its income to fund consumption and investment spending, but the government sector was spending more than was taking in in taxes, then the country as a whole would be suffering from excess demand. A classic case of this was in the late 1960s when the federal government ran deficits and put huge demands on the economy to fight the Vietnam War, even while the private sector was running at full tilt. Too much demand, meeting not enough supply, boosted inflation. This is not happening today for three broad reasons. First, some of the excess demand from the US economy is being diverted overseas to buy foreign goods and services while boosting our trade deficit. Second, growing income inequality is stifling demand, as richer households spend a smaller fraction of their income than poor households. And third, more competitive markets for goods, services and labour have tended to flatten supply curves across the economy, pushing back the point at which higher demand actually leads to higher prices. However, for the left, this reasoning likely leaves them with very little room to manoeuvre. The very policies they espouse, such as a $15 minimum wage, Medicare for all, or college debt forgiveness, would redistribute income (coughs) from rich to poor, and thus result in that excess demand that causes inflation. It is, of course, possible that some policy choices could boost the productive capacity of the economy. However, like the 2017 Tax Act, the danger is that too much of the spending effectively goes to increase consumption rather than investment spending. Second, and more broadly, there will always be a price to pay for higher deficits in the long run. All financial assets, including stocks, cash and government bonds, are essentially a claim to some share of the output of the U.S. economy. For years, the value of these financial assets have been rising relative to GDP, and so far no harm seems to have been done, because so far people are willing to accumulate wealth rather than consume it. Increasing the supply of government bonds in the hands of the public by running trillion-dollar deficits does not increase output, and simply says to bond investors that we, the rest of the public, will consume more now, and you can consume more later. As debt continues to rise, bond investors, both foreign and domestic, may become suspicious of that claim and decide to sell treasuries, pushing up rates. Alternatively, increasing the money supply by forcing the Fed to buy government bonds essentially reduces the long-term value of all other claims in U.S. output. Again, this may not actually cause inflation in the short run. But if there comes a time when investors doubt the U.S. government's intention to protect the value of its currency, the dollar could fall sharply and inflation could rise, potentially undermining the value of all financial assets. We do not know when the world's investors and consumers will suddenly get worried about the value of U.S. Treasuries or of the U.S. dollar. However, bigger deficits threaten both, and it is doubtful given populist politics that the money spent would actually result in the longer-term, stronger economy that could, to some extent, reduce these risks. For investors, this represents a good reason to be more cautious about the long-term returns on financial assets in general, and U.S. Treasuries in particular. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week, and if you have any questions in the meantime... Please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative.
0: This content has been produced for information purposes only, and as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, unless otherwise stated, as of the date of production.